be to a new series, a study of First and Second Peter. And in order to do that, I felt like we needed to know a little bit about Peter himself. So we're going to start with an introduction to him. So I, you guys all know I'm a sports nut. Uh, I enjoy all kinds of sports. But if you ask me, and every now and then somebody goes, who's your team? You know, and especially in football. Who's your team? I don't have a team. I have a person. I watch football by, by observing individual people. So if you said to me, name a few, I'd say, well, right now I'm a 49ers fan. I'm a 49ers fan because their quarterback is a young kid named Purdy who loves the Lord like you can't imagine and uh, is slugging it out in, in some unusual ways, not the last two games, but before that. Uh, and so I like the 49ers right now. Um, I am not a Raiders fan, but the quarterback there uh, is an unbelievable uh, committed Christian when he got this gigantic um, uh, contract a few years ago. They, the uh, news people said, gee, what are you going to do with your, I don't remember what it was, huge contract. What are you going to do with your money? What's the first thing you're going to do? And he said, well, uh, I'm going to tithe. My, my wife and I are going to go down and turn in our tithe. And you just don't hear that very often in a in a sports world, that the first thing they're going to do with their multi-millions is, is tithe, you know. Uh, so I tend to I like sports teams based on who's in the teams. And I think that that's also sometimes true about books in the Bible. One of the reasons I'm drawn to First and Second Peter is because Peter is an unbelievable person. Now, much of the time when we hear about him, and we don't really do it in end-up study, when we just hear about him, he's almost a... He's almost a cartoon character. You know, he's so impetuous. He's so mouth in gear, a foot in mouth, beforehead catches up kind of guy. And we, we can relate to him. We say, well, hey, he had a lot of flaws. I, I can relate to him. But that is not all that there is to this guy named Peter. And so I want to I wanna take our time today and see if I can convince you that this is an amazing man of God that we don't know very much about. Can somebody close that door for me? <clears throat> so let's start with his name. What is what is Peter's name? Well, his father was named Jonah. We know that because he was often referred to as, as uh, Simon Bar Jonah. Bar meaning the word uh, son of. So Simon Bar Jonah, the son of Jonah. His name was uh, his given name was Simon, which is a Jewish form of the word Simeon. And as you know, Simeon was one of the twelve tribes. So he's definitely connected to one of the twelve tribes. Jesus is going to come along and rename him. He's going to name him Peter. The word Peter just means rock uh, and uh, kind of a, a small rock at that. I'll get to that in a little while. In the, in the everyday language of Jesus and Peter, Aramaic, um, his name was Cephas. And he sometimes is called Cephas. Sometimes they put Simon and, and uh, or Peter rather, Peter and Cephas together. What's interesting to me, though, is if I ask you who's the hero of the New Testament, you're likely to say Paul, because we know a lot about Paul. We've studied the book of Acts, we've got all these letters. <laughs> but Peter is equally as important, and if not, if not more so. And other characters that we claim as you know high uh, high examples, those same high examples are are less known in the Bible than than in the in, than in our discussions. For example, like John. John is known very well uh, as being uh, the one who Jesus loved because that's how he self-describes himself. But the truth of the matter is Simon Peter's name 
It's mentioned 29 times in the New Testament. Simon 17 times. Cephas nine times. Compare that. How many times is John mentioned? 31 times. Almost twice as many times as John's name. We, we see Peter being named in the New Testament. Paul relates to and mentions Cephas or Paul four times in the book of 1 Corinthians. He mentions him about three times in Galatians, and he picks him up, obviously, in the book of Acts. There is a lot in there that we gloss over looking at other people in the New Testament, and, and the very fact that so much is mentioned of him ought to catch our attention. Peter's a big deal in the New Testament. I want to talk a little bit about his family. Where are they from? So I put a little map, and it's hard when it's black and white, but that's the Sea of Galilee. Doesn't it look like a sea? Yeah, right, but anyway. Um, if you looked at the top of that little diagram, there's a city called Bethsaida, and then to its left is a city named Capernaum. Out of all the places I went, the two times I went to Israel, Capernaum was my favorite, partially because it's one of the ones that they have got very good excavation. You can stand in Capernaum and look at first century houses. It's amazing. There's also a place when you go into their synagogue that they've gone down and cut down a couple of layers, which is where the original would have been. And you can see the stairs. Jesus walked on those stairs, them right there. Um, I got myself lost from our group the first time and that's where they found me, was down in the first century. I went, oh, this is what Jesus, I want to step on this too, walking in the steps of Jesus. Peter, on the other hand, was was from Bethsaida in terms of his uh, early life, but he, but he came to live in Capernaum. Um, if you went to Capernaum, they're going to point to a place and say, there's Peter's house. You're going to go, huh? Because there's a great big basilica built over the top of it. And that's usual in, in, uh, in uh, the Holy Land. If there was a major event, the Catholic Church has probably built a church over it. If you go to Bethlehem, you, they say, right over there is where Jesus was born. You're going into a big Catholic church. Uh, and, and many other places like that. Capernaum's like that, too, where his house was. Apparently a pretty good-sized house, because lots of people lived there. He lived there. His wife lived there. He was married. We know that because his mother-in-law is mentioned in the scriptures. His brother's name is Andrew, and um, Andrew is the one who brought Peter to Jesus. So let's go to John chapter 1 and look at verse uh, 41, I think it is. John 1. I'll uh, see, John 41. Yep, we'll start with 40, actually. So Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John the Baptist had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to go find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, <clears throat> that is, the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is the moment when, when Peter came to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Now, we have found the Messiah. I should say to you that for many, many generations, the, the people in, in the, in the um, land of Israel were waiting for the Messiah. They were actively waiting. They were looking for him. They were taking the, the, the letters or the, the writings of the Old Testament and they were searching the scriptures for indicators of when and where the Messiah would come. And so when, when they found Jesus, he lined up with all of the things they knew the Messiah was going to be. And they're excited. We have found the Messiah. 
And, and Simon Peter, is his brother, brought him to, to, uh, to find Jesus. And, and that is a, an amazing thing of, of Andrew. You'll see him do that a couple other times in his life, uh, bringing people to Jesus, that is. Apparently his wife, that is Peter, Peter's wife got to travel with him on some missionary journeys. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Paul's whining about it a little bit. 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9, verse number 5. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5. I'm going to start with verse 3, I guess. This is my defense. This is Paul talking. He's talking about the rights of an apostle. What does an apostle have a right to? Well, this is my defense, he says, to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? I mean, don't we get to sit down and have something for a meal? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Paul? Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? So he's taking a little, a little jab at, at Peter there. You get to even take your wife along. You know, we don't think Paul was married, at least not at this time, but at, the, at that moment, he is whining about Peter taking missionary trips all around again what is common-day Turkey, Asia Minor, and Paul's going, hey, you bum, you got to even take your wife. But we didn't. That's not fair. So he's got quite a family. We know something about his brother, Andrew. We know something about his mother-in-law. She got very sick uh, and had to be healed. We know something about uh, that the fact that he's married and his wife got to travel with him. Now, what did he do for a living? Well, he and his, his brother, Andrew, were partners with James and John. So James and John had a fishing business. Peter and his brother Andrew had a fishing business. Somewhere along the line, they combined the two, and they owned several boats. And you say, well, what's the big deal, Sherry? That would have been quite a businessman at that time. They're not just a, a guy who goes out and grabs a few fish out of the sea, comes inland, sells two of them, eats the other one. This is a major issue that they owned a fishing business. Several boats, uh, employed some servants. Even, uh, even after Jesus' death, uh, Peter's the one who says, well, I'm, I'm going to go fishing. Meaning, I'm going to go back to what I know to do. I, I don't know what else to do now, right now. I'm going to go back to what I do. He and his brother had quite a little business, which when Jesus walks along and, and claims him and says, hey, I want you to come and be a, a fisher of men rather than fishers of fish, but the Bible says that he dropped their nets immediately and went. No hesitation. <clears throat> Peter is an immediate kind of guy. He is. If he thinks a thought, it comes out of his mouth. But, but, but... The flip side of that is he's quick to respond to the good stuff, the, the stuff that would be instructional, the stuff uh, that Jesus might say to him. So when he says, hey, come along with me, I'm going to make you fishers of men, boom, there go the nets, and off he goes, which is an incredible, incredible uh, personal trait. Think, think the last time God gave you some instruction and how long it took you to get around to doing it, you know? We drag our heels. We pray about it. We think about it. We seek counsel. I don't know. It would mess up my whole life. Well, should we? I don't know. Peter, done. Where do you want me to go? He's got quite a character, Peter does. Um, yes, he's impetuous. Yes, in some ways weak. We'll talk about that in a minute. He's definitely a flawed man. He's definitely headstrong. He's definitely reckless. And he's definitely stubborn. All that is true. But, but, um, but on, on the contrast to that, every one of the mistakes he makes, um, he is quick 
to offer, uh, Lord, I'm sorry, that wasn't right. Oop, I shouldn't have done that. Go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Now, I put a lot of verses in your lessons today, and uh, don't feel like we have to look at every one of them in the lesson itself, but it's there for you to get, get a maybe a deeper look at this guy, Peter. So look at John 13 and verse number 9. John 13 and verse number 9. So this is the night before Jesus, uh, or this is the night he's arrested. He dies on the cross the next day. He's having that last supper, and uh, and he's in, in the process of, before the meal is actually being served, Jesus is washing the, the, uh, the feet of the disciples. No one else was doing it. Jesus uh, takes off his outer clothes, wraps a towel around his waist. Verse 5, he pours water into a basin, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. And he's drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, says Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And so we kind of stop there and say, yeah, see, look, and he's got his mouth in gear. He's telling the Lord no. He's the only one of the apostles or disciples who actually says no to Jesus. Kind of an interesting distinction. But, but watch what happens. He says, no, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus said. You can almost hear him do this. <sighs> Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter responds, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. In other words, Jesus said, buddy, if I don't wash your feet, if I am not involved in this process of cleansing you and, and making you into the man that I want to use, then, then there's, there's no, no good there. And he goes, oh, well, in that case, here's my feet, here's my hands, don't miss my face. He's quick to apologize, quick to get it right. And then Jesus says, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you referring to uh, Judas and, and the behavior he's going to have in a, in a few hours. So yeah, he is impetuous, he's flawed, he's reckless, he's stubborn, but but he is not without, he, he does not, when he is confronted with those characteristics, he doesn't ignore them. He goes, oh, okay, no, we've got to fix that. He's quick to respond, quick to apologize as well. Even Paul calls him a, a people pleaser in Galatians. They have a little run-in, he and, he and Paul, and Paul walks away with a, a sense that Peter's a, a people person. Um, I'll talk about that in a few minutes, too. He was, however, brave. I mean, of all the disciples and apostles, I think he would be considered the bravest of them. He is willing to die for the Lord. We're in John uh, 13. Look at 1337. So from 31 on, Jesus is saying he's predicting that he is going to he's going to die um, verse 33 says, my, my children, I will be with you only a little while longer. You're going to look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know you're my disciples. If you love one another, Simon Peter, nobody else is saying a word. Simon Peter says, well, Lord, where are you going? Like I can get there. No problem. Wherever it is, I'm going. Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter says, well, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I laid down my life for you. You know, he's just he's just quick to, to make a response. He, he doesn't need 14 reasons. He just needs Jesus to say it, and he's going to do it. 
I, I, have, I value that in disciples of Jesus who don't need 14 reasons or three weeks to pray about it. They just, you said it, I did it, I'm going. Uh, I knew a young a girl in Bible college and, uh, and there was a missionary that was there speaking and the call was you know, to be a missionary. This girl previous to that, it had no inclination to it. The message was very clear. After, time, after chapel time, she and I are having a conversation. She said, I'm going. You want to think about it? You want to pray about it? You want to consider it? You want to talk to your parents? Any of that stuff important? No, I'm going. Heard the message. I'm going. That's Peter. He said it. I'm going to do it. Uh, where you go, uh, if I can't follow you now, I will lay down my life for you. And then, and of course, you know that Jesus answers and said, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth before the cock crows, you're going to disown me three times, which he's also going to do. So on the one hand, he raises his hand immediately. Yep, I, I'm, I'm your man. I'll, I'll die for you. On the other hand, in a, in a very short period of time, he's going to deny the Lord three times, even cursing and swearing in one of those, one of those times. Um, he's the only one, though, out of all the disciples to actually confront Jesus. Um, in this passage, and it also is in uh, Mark. I want to go to Mark and, and read that one. Mark 8. Mark 8. Um, about him uh, getting rebuked by the Lord because he's confronted by him. Uh, Mark 8. We'll look at verse uh, 32. <clears throat> 8, 32. So he, uh, then, that's Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside. The rest of them are sitting there, ah, ah, ah. And Peter pulls Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Rebuke him! In his face! No! Uh-uh! No can't happen! But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan! You do not have the mind, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And then we're going to get the cock crowing and other things in the other accounts in, in Matthew and so on. But he gets in his face right after Peter turns around and says, hey, wait a minute, you can't do this, no way, uh-uh. And, and Jesus actually calls him uh, Satan. He says, you're acting, like, you're acting like the devil here, Peter. He's getting a, a moment or two of, a, of, of very personal discipleship with Jesus. Um, now, in the garden... Here's another account. Again, a, a, a few chapters later, he's at the night before he's going to get arrested. He's been to the upper room. They've had the, the Last Supper, and now they're out in the Garden of Gethsemane for a time of prayer. And during this time, everybody falls asleep. If we're in Mark, go back to, uh, let's see, we're going, no, excuse me. Uh, yeah, Mark 14. I think you can go to Mark 14. Mark 14, verse 37. 14, 37. So um, then he, re or going, let's start with verse 32. They, they went to a place called Gethsemane. Jesus said to his disciples, sit here a while, or sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus says to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground, prayed that if it was possible, 
that the hour might pass for him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Look who he talks to. Not the other two, not James and John, but Simon. He says to Peter, are you asleep? Are you, come on, buddy. This is an important night. Could you not keep watch for one hour? Now, why isn't he hollering at James and John? Because he has a special relationship with Peter. He knows if he gets in his face, he gets results. If he calls him on something, Peter stops it. If, if he gives him an instruction, Peter's going to do it. And he has that very close relationship. I, I even entitled this lesson that Peter was Jesus' best friend. Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but, but the body is weak. And he is definitely going to fall into temptation. I mean, you know, a few verses later, he's going to start his denial. He is, however, an, an amazing man, a responsive man to God. Um, when he gets into his denials, he, he actually, at one point, denies that Jesus is, um, that, that he ever even knew him. How does, how do you, how does he go from, I, I would die for you, to, I don't, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. He's just as impetuous, he's just as uh, quick uh, to do wrong as he is to do right. He's not a character, he's a real person. Now, I talked about his calling. Um, I, I want to look at one aspect of that calling, though. Look at Luke 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke 5. In Luke 5, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting uh, how, how this calling goes for these uh, first disciples. Luke 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him, Simon, to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, wait a minute. He just comes up. Their, their boats are on the shore, uh, and and they're, they're washing the nets so they can use them again. Jesus walks up and says, can I use your boat? And climbs into the boat. Peter gets in the boat, pushes off a little from the shore, <clears throat> and Jesus taught him there. When he had finished speaking, verse 4, he said to Simon, Hey, uh, go ahead and put out uh, into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, if you were a fisherman and you had spent all day and all night fishing and you had gotten none, some guy who's not a fisherman comes along and says, Hey, go out, you'll get a great catch. You're not, but you're not buying it, which is what happens here. Simon answers and says, Hey, master. <laughs> We have worked hard all night. This is nighttime fishing. We worked all night and we haven't caught anything. And there's a little pause there. And if that was me, I would have I would added a few things, you know. And I'm tired and I didn't get any dinner. And you know, everybody's gonna crank at us tomorrow that we don't have anything to sell. Don't give me your, you know, go back out. It's still night, it's still whatever. But he doesn't. He says, But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the shore and the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Then Simon Peter saw this. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. What did he do? 
He just questioned whether to go back out in the middle of the night when he hasn't got anything all night long. He questions it, but it's so powerful what Jesus did right there in front of him. He responds immediately. Uh, I Just stay away from me, Lord. I'm, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Jebedee, Simon's partners. And, and then Jesus says to Simon, he's not... The rest of them are there, but he keeps talking to Simon. Then, then Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. Quit worrying about everything. From now on, you're going to catch men. Now, this smelly fisherman has been out all night, got nothing, responds to Jesus, goes out, gets such a catch that his boat is about to sink. His buddy comes out. They, two of them got such a load. Two boats are about to sink. And Jesus is talking to him directly to Simon, not to anyone else, and says, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. We get that because we got the backstory. But Peter's standing there. We have to carve. We have to rock hide. No rock hide in the sea. Really. But anyway, well, what were we? Men, you know, so they pulled their boats up to the shore, left everything, and followed him. Once again, boom, done. I like this guy, Peter. I really do. Anyway. Um, I already talked to you about Andrew being the one that brought Peter to Jesus. Um, and it's called into ministry, the one we just were, were talking about. He's going to become a fisher of men. Now, Mark's gospel was written as kind of an eyewitness of the things that happened in Jesus' life. But Mark was not a, a disciple or apostle. So he got all of his information from Peter. So when we read the Gospel of Mark, we're re really reading the stories of Peter. So go home and read the 16 chapters. It'll take you less than a half hour and get the whole story from Peter's perspective. And you'll notice one word that keeps popping up. In, well, actually, two words that keep popping up in the, in, in the Gospel of Mark. One is immediately. Every, just one time I went through and just highlighted every time the word immediately came or at, at once. Immediately, at once, immediately, at once. That's how Peter was. Let's do it now. We're not, we're not waiting. Jesus has called us. We're going to get it done. Uh, by the way, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, got his information from Mary, which is why we have all the details of the birth of Jesus. We wouldn't have any of those unless someone was there. Mary was certainly there. So Mary gives Luke his insight. Uh, Peter is the one that gives the insight to Mark. Now, Peter is definitely the leader of the 12 apostles. I used to suffer really bad with migraines. And when they were really bad, I'd take this boatload of medicine, but it took between 20 and 32 minutes for it to hit. You know, I had it, I had it done. And during that time, I was miserable, miserable with pain. And I would envision things to get my mind off of the, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the pain medicine to kick in. One of the things I used to do is, can I name all 12 apostles? And then, you know, could I, could I put their land where they went in, in Israel? Strange things. My point being that the, uh, the, there are 12 apostles, one of whom is Peter. He's their leader. Every time there's a discussion of, and the apostles show up, it's Peter. Peter's going to be the spokesman. If somebody's asking a question, Peter's going to answer. If, if Jesus is giving a direct whatever, it's going to Peter. And then there's some times when it's Peter, James, and John. You'll notice that instead of referring to the to the 12, he refers to three. It's like the inner circle. 
that inner circle gets a, a, a different view of Jesus than the 12. And, and the 70 that go out in the Gospels, uh, taking the Gospel out, they're a different group. So if you started with the, with the 70, okay, this is the disciples that are uh, going out doing the Lord's work. Then you take it back to the 12, special relationship with them. And then you take it back to the three, special relationship with them. Of the three, one of them is Peter, Peter, James, and John. Those, those guys are going to have a lot of special moments with the Lord that no one else gets to have. The transfiguration, when Jesus actually becomes glorified before. The, the body that he's going to have for all eternity, they gave him a, he gave them a peek at what it looked like, how it was. It glowed. It was unbelievable. So at the transfiguration, who's there? Peter, James, and John. And who pipes up and talks? Peter. He says, wow, this is amazing. I'm going to pitch us a tent, and we're going to stay here. It just sounds like him. He wants to soak everything up. This is a moment. Um, when, uh, when they're walking on water, which is definitely a key moment, of course, Peter is the one who spots the Lord Jesus out on the, on, a, on the waves and says to him, Hey, if that's really you, call me and I'll come. And the Lord says, Come. And he steps out of the boat. We make fun of him and say, yeah, and immediately went into the, drink, into the drink. Sure, when he took his eyes off of Jesus, yeah, he went into the water. But how many of the rest of them were walking in the water? In fact, if you want to talk about that, there have only been two people in recorded history who walked on water. One was Jesus. Who was the other one? Peter. Um, when they had a big discussion about, are we going to honor... Um, uh, Caesar, and the, and the issue about, are we paying taxes? Should we pay the, the temple tax? Peter's right in the midst of that. And we've already <coughs> talked about the foot washing incident. So his relationship to the other apostles is, he's in the group of the leaders, Peter, James, and John, but he is the leader. He's not only their spokesman, he is the one who, who is going to take charge in any given situation. I want to talk a little bit about his distinctions because we talked about some of his foibles. We talk about his distinctions. He's the very first one that was called into ministry. I think that's a big deal. In the Bible, the first of anything is a big deal. He is the leader. We just went through that of the disciples, first of, among them. When he has a conversation and says to him, Jesus has a conversation, and says to his, his apostles, hey, what are everybody saying about me? What, what is everybody thinking I am? And they come up with several, and well, some people think this, and some people think that, and some people think this. What does Peter say? Peter say, you, you are the Messiah. You're the promised one. You're the one we've been waiting for, for eons. He makes his great declaration. It's not one of the other apostles. It's him. It's distinctive to Peter to be able to cut through that. Well, some are saying you're this, Elijah, and some are saying this, and some are, no, Peter pipes up, no, 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 no. You are, you are indeed the Messiah. Um, when, when Jesus dies, um, I, I don't think I put this in your notes, but when Jesus dies and Mary Magdalene and, and the ladies show up to finish putting uh, good spices on his body on resurrection morning, they're, they're told to go back and tell everybody that Jesus has risen. And in that line of, of, of declaration, and Peter... Go tell everybody, and Peter. 
And and Peter Peter takes off running. Peter and John run. There's two accounts of it. I think it's two in the Gospels of the two of them with the little foot race. And John makes sure we know that he got there first. But here, you know what? I want you to turn there. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Is it in John or Luke? I bet it's in Luke. Hold on one second. The foot race. The foot race. Nope. Uh, okay. So my first choice is John. So let me try Mark. I don't think it's Mark either. I think it's John. One moment, please. Still checking. Yep, it's got to be John. So John 20, maybe. John 20. Yes. Okay. So uh, John 20, verse number one. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to who? Who's she coming to? Simon Peter and the other apostle, or the other disciple, which is John, the one Jesus loved. He, made, he throws that in there and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Wait a minute. The word looked in there means glanced. So he, you know, he threw back the whatever and, oh, okay, and then bolted and ran again. However, verse 6, then Simon Peter, who was behind him, thank you, John, for telling us again you won, uh, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb, not glancing in there. He went in and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Pause a moment. The word for saw there is not a glance. It's a it's a sustained gaze. It's a, what? What? See, John goes and goes, yeah, okay, he's not here. Not Peter. Peter goes in and, oh my goodness, he's not here. Wow. It's that same word is, is used by Jesus when he calls him. Uh, when he calls Peter and, and Andrew to come follow him, the Bible says he saw them there. Jesus saw them there. Same word. Real real concise, not concise, concentrated, real co concentrated look, a gaze, a stare. That same word is used for when Peter denies uh, Jesus and Jesus turns and look at him. And it's not just a casual look. It's a, it's a bolted in gaze. It's a Peter. Peter is an amazing guy. He's, um, he's going to show up in the book of Acts after Jesus dies. He's the one who is going to rally the disciples all together in the upper room. He's the one that's going to preach the first sermon or most of the sermons on the day of Pentecost. Uh, he's the one in Jerusalem that has the leadership position. So when he and John go out after they've huddled together in the upper room for a while... And now he's going to go out and maybe do some 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 ministry. They they come to a guy who's uh, lame, and and Peter's the first apostle that actually heals somebody in that account in in Acts three. It's not it's not anyone else. It's Peter, and then in that same account they're going to want to arrest him, and he's the one that goes before the Sanhedrin. Now remember the Sanhedrin was where he was outside warming himself when the girl says you you too were a Galilean. She recognizes dialect. And he goes, oh, no, I never met him. I never met him. He denied him three times out uh, in the context of the meeting of the Sanhedrin. But when we get to Acts chapter 4, 
I think it's chapter four, chapter three, I guess. He actually steps into the to this actual Sanhedrin and takes them on. <coughs> He's the one that's going to do the speaking. Uh, another another chapter over in Acts chapter five, the story of Ananias and Sapphira who who lie about uh, selling a piece of property and they ended up dropping dead over the matter. The the adjudicator at that point, the guy who does the the judging. All right, let me have the facts. Let's see what's going on. Is Peter? He is the number one guy in the early parts of the book of Acts. Well, we gloss over that and immediately go to Paul. He is going to be, um, he's going to preside, if you will, over the first church council. So the, the, the church in chapter 8 has to disperse. Jerusalem is under attack. Christians are under attack. They have to scatter. Which, by the way, that's how God does it. When Christians become under attack, we get our, ourselves in gear and, and scatter. He told them to, to move and go and take the gospel to everywhere, and they didn't pay any attention to him. Acts chapter 1, take, you know, take their gospel here and there and there and there and there, and they just, yeah, huh, we like Jerusalem, until they're, they're under attack. Once they're persecuted, and then they split out. They start churches all over Asia Minor, all over Turkey. And Peter is, is one that's out there doing some of that work, but he is the leader in the early days of the church in Jerusalem. And then they have a council, because, you know, a lot of those people— and those churches that they were founding were Gentiles. They weren't Jews. So what do we do with them? How much should we make them do as a Jew in order to become a follower of Jesus? And they have a big church council. Well, the guy presiding over it is Peter. And as a matter of fact, Paul and, and, and John are going to get into it about what, what should these Gentiles have to do. And Peter's the one that steps in with a, with a, a voice of reason. Peter is the only one in our New Testament, the only human author, who, who recognizes Paul as being inspired and, and, and having writings that they should pay attention to. I want you to look at 2 Peter. Go to 2 Peter. Are you, are you following in love, following in love with my guy, Peter? I hope so. 2 Peter chapter 3. This is a little comment he's going to make about Paul's work. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with wisdom, with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them. Speaking in them of these matters, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. But he, he's he's given Paul his moment. Hey, you need to listen to him. You need to read his letters. You need to, you know, recognize that. Excuse me, that God is is working through him. Now. Apologize. I'm sorry. I'm dry this morning. Um, after Paul, where's forget Paul rather? A second. After Peter made his great confession, we need to have a word here about Peter. So here's what happens: the the Protestants, the kinds of churches that you and I go to, they downplay Peter. If you went to a Catholic church, they they have him up here, and almost like wait a minute, we don't want him to have all that power or all that position. We downplay him. The reason is, is, is in Matthew uh, chapter 16. So I want to I want to take a moment and talk about that. Matthew chapter 16. What, what's his place? 
Matthew 16. And where does the other uh, side make this big deal about Peter? So in Matthew 16, we're going to look at about verse 17 or so. Well, we'll start with 16. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? We talked about this a minute ago. They replied, some say uh, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter, boom, here's the answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replies, verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Pause right here. So if you were a member of that church, you're going to camp on that and go, see, Peter is something special. He's, he's the rock that Jesus wanted to build his church on. And he gave him so much power, keys to the, keys to the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, of course, he's the primal, the first, the beginning of that, of that office that we've come to know as the, the papal office or the pope. And there's going to be a, 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 a lineage there. All beginning with all beginning with Peter. All beginning with you know, hey, I'm going to build my church on you, and you're going to have special keys uh, to loose some things in heaven. What does all that mean? We don't want to spend all day on this, but I just wanted you to understand when he says you are Peter, little rock, little rock, little stone. Could could have called him a stone. It's not a great big boulder. Just little rock, little kind you pick up, throw on the throw on the a creek or something. You're Peter. Little rock, little stone. And, and upon this, pointing to what he had just said, that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, building on that. That's the solid rock, the great confession that Jesus is the Messiah. You're a little rock, Peter. Yeah, and, and helpful. We're, I'm going to use you. Yeah, good. But there is a bigger rock. And the bigger rock is the confession you just said, that, that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm going to build my church on that confession, on that truth that that um, that I'm going to build my church on, the truth that Jesus was the Messiah, the coming one. Now, the business about the keys to the kingdom, the truth of the matter is, all he's saying there is, whatever you bind on earth will be bound, whatever you bound on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. This, this is a symbol of the power and authority. Yes, Peter had it, but so do you. You bind and loose. If if um, if I led you to Jesus Christ, I, I'm trying to look around the room to see if there's anybody here that I personally led to Christ. No, I don't think so. Um, but let's say, just for the sake of Cynthia, I'm going to pick on you. So let's say I led Cynthia to Christ. When she and I were dialoguing and she was putting her faith and trust in Jesus, I, I'm, I'm in the business of loosing her from whatever false ideas she had. I'm in the business of cutting away from her all the junk she's been thinking about. I, I'm, I'm in the process of yanking her away from Satan. I'm, I'm cutting, I'm loosing her, and I'm binding her to the truth, which is Jesus is the focus. There's where our trust and faith should go. I've done some binding and I've done some loosing. It's not a, this is not a statement about building a church. In fact, in other places in the Bible, it very specifically says, I will build my church on 
the, the cornerstone, and the cornerstone is Jesus. So this is not a, a moment where we're building a, uh, a never-ending papal uh, succession. This is a moment where, where Jesus is declaring Jesus, excuse me, Jesus is declaring Peter's great confession. Yeah, I'm building on that confession. And those people that do that work, that take that gospel, they're binding and loosing left and right. So, um, during, during Christ's lifetime, Peter was very anxious to follow him, very quick to do his bidding, very crushed when he did his denial. And he's very, very anxious about this, this time of his, his resurrection. That's why he went running with John. That's why he was so concerned about it. Um, you know, the, the thing is that, that Peter did serve as the, the early church in Jerusalem. But after the church scattered, like I said before, they went wherever they went. And Peter went to various cities, including a place called Joppa. And uh, if you look at a map of Israel, well, if you look at a map today of Tel Aviv, north of Tel Aviv, along the coastline, is the city of Joppa. And in that city, Paul, Peter was doing uh, some preaching and teaching about Jesus. And he had, a, he had a vision. He had a dream. And out of that vision, it's the one where the, the, the sheet opened up and it had a, call, a bunch of unclean animals. And God was giving Peter the vision of, no, 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 no. The gospel does not just go to Jews. It goes to the unclean, too. This gospel's got to go to the Gentiles. And that's a very significant moment in the, in the process of the early church. And it happened because Peter responded to the, the, the dream or the vision that Jesus gave him. Gave him in Acts 10, I put it in your notes, he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. So, so the church was not able to just us three and no more. No, it's got to go, it's got to go out. We don't know exactly where he went. We suspicion he went back up into Turkey and did some, some traveling around, but we don't know exactly. We think that he ended up, after some time in Antioch and also in Corinth, that he, that he left for Rome. Now, tradition has Peter dying in Rome in about 68 AD. Now, I emphasize tradition. There's nothing in the Bible that says he did. He may not have even gone to Rome, but... If you look at contemporary or slightly after him, historians, they all confirm it. So while it's not in our Bible, it, it's in human history. And I, I threw a few of them down just to kind of make my point. A historian by the name of Clement, he wrote as early as 95 AD, and he mentions that, that Peter was, was indeed martyred in Rome. Another historian, Tertullian, a leader, a little later, 150 to 222 uh, he noted that Peter's martyrdom was in Rome, was under Nero. Uh, a guy by the name of Clement of Alexandria, about 200 AD, he affirmed that Peter was killed in Rome. And Origen, uh, a little later, 250 or so, he gave the detail that Peter was martyred by crucifixion, but with his head down. The tradition says that when they went to crucify him, he said, I am not worthy to be crucified like my Lord was, put me upside down. We don't know. Historians have a lot to say about it. And I started this lesson by saying Peter was Jesus' best friend. I, I think that it's no accident that he spoke to Peter first. For example, just in the Garden of Eden, 
not Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he's dying. He's told them all uh, to wait and pray with him, and he moved himself a little further off or over, and Jesus is pouring out his heart to his Heavenly Father. You know, if it's if it's your will, Lord, let this pass from me. His he's sweat is becoming like blood drops. It, it's, a, it's a moment. When he turns around and they're asleep, so there was the disciples there, and then he pulled aside Peter, James, and John, and they're, they're there. He comes back to them, and, 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 and you, you can imagine him saying something to everyone, but the Bible says that he speaks directly to Peter in Matthew 26. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? It's like he talks to his buddy first. Hey, Peter, you couldn't, you couldn't just stay awake an hour? You couldn't be with me here even an hour? Um, I already told you that when they take the message back, the ladies after coming to the tomb, when the gospel, when the, the disciples rather are going back and they and they're told to tell them he's not here, he says, but go and tell the disciples and Peter, I don't want my buddy to, to think that I'm mad at him. The last, a, 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 the last encounter at that moment between Jesus and, and Peter was that look after he denied him. You got to know Peter is distraught. He is heartbroken. His 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 Messiah, his leader, his friend, the dearest man to his heart has just been horribly crucified. And he wasn't in the tomb. Yeah, they came and said, "Go, go and tell him, but make sure you tell Peter. I don't want him to I don't want him to stop on that note. I want I want him to have more." And he does have more. When we get to chapter 21, I know you know this, John 21. Go to the, the book of John, in verse or chapter 21. That whole chapter almost is devoted to Peter so that Peter can get back into a right relationship with his friend, with his Messiah, and get going on the assignment that God has for him. I said in your notes that the entire dialogue in, in, uh, in John 21 is a, an attempt on Jesus' part to reinstate Peter. To get him back into the place he's supposed to be and get out there and do what he told him to do at the very beginning, which is follow me. So in verse 15, 21, chapter 21, verse 15 of John, when they'd finished eating, that uh, back up, they were out fishing and uh, Jesus shows up. Uh, they come off the, the fishing time and they're going to go have breakfast with him. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Kind of, you know, these people out here. And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter said, or Jesus says, okay, I, I want you to feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Same question. He answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, then I want you to take care of my sheep. Third time he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, you can almost hear the, the little sobs in his, in, in the catch in his voice. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you were old, uh, you, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you uh, where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death to which Peter was going, by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. The instruction is the same that he says to him when he called him. 
follow me. He's, he's reinstating Peter, even though there'd been the horrible denials, he's reinstating him in a very significant way. Right there, that whole passage, even the, re the rest of the disciples are listening, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a, a moment for Jesus to look into his eyes and say, go do what I, I called you to do in the first place. So, Peter, Jesus' best friend. What do, you, what do you learn about this? Well, I'll tell you what I learn and what I apply every time I think about Peter. The Lord is still in the business of giving second chances. I mean, his denial was pretty dramatic, pretty significant. Not once, not twice, but three times, including a bunch of you know, swearing. Right out there where he could probably hear some of the things that were going on. Uh, in the inner courtyard, he's on the outer courtyard. He could probably hear some of the, the nonsense and maybe even some of the mistreatment of Jesus. And yet, he denies it three times. Even though Jesus told him he was going to. It was prophesied. What, what, what do we take away from, from Peter's life? God is in the business of using flawed people. All flawed people, raise your hand. I mean, come on. He's the God of the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the tenth and the sixtieth and the hundred and twentieth. And 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 in that in that light, while he is continuing to use us, he has the the love to call us through that whole process, friend. John 15, 15. He calls his disciples and Peter and you and me, friend. I want you to look at 15, John 15. You're probably on 20. Just turn back two pages. John 15, 15. Verse 14 says, You are my friends if you do what I command. Verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. And, 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 he goes on and has opportunity to speak, as I said a little while ago, in the Sanhedrin. All of the rulers, all of the, the, the high mucky mucks in their early church in, the, in, the, in Judaism at that time. But what they're going to say is, you know, these people have been with Jesus. This man, this woman has been with Jesus. That's how our world knows about us and our second and third and 50th and 160th chance, is that it looks like we've been with Jesus. I don't know how many of you knew... Um, Mr. Grimm's mother, Marianne Fisher. But Marianne Fisher was just one of those people that every time I talked to her, and she was here, I don't know, maybe 10 years, maybe, I don't remember. But every time I talked to Marianne, I felt like she had just walked out of the throne room of God. She just had that aura that she had been with Jesus. You know, I used to tell her that I specifically prayed during that time, and I did, for an older woman to be a mentor to me. And Marianne came along, and, and I looked at her in that way from, from a spiritual standpoint. And every time she would have a counsel or discussions with me, I had the sense so that she had already just turned to Jesus and said, I'll be right back. I'll be right. Sherry needs something here. And then she would come and have a word with me. That's what God wants all of us to do, whether it's our first chance or our second chance or however many times it is. We need to be known as people that have been with Jesus. Peter never let anybody forget that he was he was Jesus' best friend.
flawed, yeah. But oh my gosh, what character. Let's pray. Father, boy, if there was somebody in the scriptures that would want to be like on his good days, it's Peter. But the truth of the matter is, is I have good days and bad days. I have days when I don't look like I've been with you. And on those days, I need to be reminded of your relationship with Peter. You didn't let him get away with it. You disciplined him. That very word means to make a disciple. You were making something out of that rough fisherman. And oh my, you did. Help us to get him and his two letters and apply it to our hearts. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for coming. It would have been no fun without you.